Hi, this is Deborah Holchip, editor of Michigan Today. In this episode of Listen in Michigan, my guest is John U. Bacon, author, teacher, coach, father, athlete, and sports enthusiast extraordinaire, which you would know if you had been following his career as a writer and broadcaster for the past 25 years. John's new book, The Best of Bacon, Select Cuts from John U. Bacon, is a collection of stories and essays he's written over the past 25 years. You may know John from his books, Fourth and Long, End Zone. Most recently, he wrote Playing Hurt, My Journey from Despair to Hope, which he co-authored with ESPN's John Saunders, who struggled with depression. While John has covered sports at every level, from local to college to national, I would venture to say that his favorite aspect of sports is college sports. He says, we watch not for perfection, but for passion. Here's John. Sports have got a way, for men especially, but also women, for bringing the emotions out. Uh, men have a hard time expressing emotions almost anywhere else but a football field or a basketball court. You're allowed to cry after a loss, and you're you're considered a tough guy for doing so, incredibly. I recall interviewing Michael Jordan for a Time Magazine cover piece. I was one of five writers on that. Cool. Uh, It was cool. And uh, he said, look, I know that curing cancer is more important than what I do, (laughs) but what I do is more fun to watch. (laughs) And in the case of coaches, we can see immediately the impact of their leadership, Mm -hmm. which you can't see in most offices. You just can't. Uh, so for what I do, it makes sports, sports is a very good prism for seeing character. Yeah, it's so true. I love when they have tantrums. That's my favorite thing. There you go. Well, <laughs> then you'd love Bo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always great when yeah. the headphones come off and there's it, lots it's, of... It's young. real emotional. How many places, in, I'm, I'm sure we're always going to be attracted to sports on some level, based on the raw emotion, crying after you lose, throwing your headset for a bad call, uh, fights almost breaking out, the joy of victory and the agony of defeat and all mm-hmm. that. It's all there. Yeah. And it's on display. I love college sports so much. And it's so interesting how different. It's strange that college and professional sports are as different from one another as they are. But they really are. I agree wholeheartedly. So talk about why we love college sports so much. That's a great question, one I almost never get. So thank you. Yes. And I've not gotten in years. So (laughs) um, they tend to be lumped in. You got college on Saturday. You got NFL on Sunday. It's just, you know, minor league, major league. No, it's not. One huge difference is this. If you are the best player in college basketball or football that year, what happens to you next? You're drafted by the professional team. You want to go to least to live in the city you want to live in least. Uh, you are drafted and you're paid. And there's, a, there's a term for that, <laughs> doing things you don't want to do because you're paid. If you're uh, the best high school player in the country, you choose. Oh, you have all the power. So point. I guarantee you that everyone who's wearing the winged helmet in that tunnel has actively chosen to be a Wolverine. They have turned down other programs, mm-hmm. maybe all the other programs, because they decided that they all said the same thing, too, whether they go to Michigan State or Ohio State or Michigan. They all said, this is where I belong. I came to campus, I met the people, and I knew that this is my home. And when you're a fellow student with these athletes, you share that. Yeah. Uh, you share nothing with the Detroit Lions. You share nothing with the D- Detroit Tigers. They're That's not in your true. neighborhood. Yeah. They don't, and they get a better offer somewhere else, they're moving. They don't care. Right? Everyone here on campus has chosen to be here on campus, and that the spirit of college football and college basketball, therefore, and all college sports, is fundamentally different because yeah. of that. And that energy you can feel, and everyone's got a story from being in class with Rick Leach or Jim Harbaugh or Denard Robinson, uh, and, and that's part of the package, too. You can talk to any, any Michigan alum, I swear to God, 
football, basketball, hockey, the guys that play in the NHL, the NBA, every single one of them will tell you it's cooler to play at Michigan than it was in the pros. Now, the, the money was nice, <laughs> and so is the fame. Uh, when even Tom Brady, who might be the acid test for this, he was split time at Michigan, and now he's, of course, the biggest yeah. star ever in football. Um, when even he says that, it gets your attention. Yeah. I mean, he still comes back here and talks to people. I mean, obviously, he's got a lot of love in his heart for it. And no then for question. Harbaugh to come back here and coach, I mean, come on. I guarantee the NFL would have paid him more. Now, he's not, as he said to me, and it's in the, in the story here, in this book, How Harbaugh Came Home. I said, you know, why'd you come home? Uh, you know, NFL would have paid you more. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't put me in the same dance floor as Mother Teresa. I'm making $5 million. Now it's more than that. I said, okay, fair enough. But I already heard from the New York Jets, Chicago Bears, Oakland Raiders. The number was, the opening bid was 10. And it's going to go to 11, 12. Get NFL owners bidding on something, then the egos take over. And he said, okay, I can tell you I did not come back to Michigan because I thought I was going to make the most money by coming back here. I said, okay, so why did you come back? And he said, three days earlier, I talked to my dad, Jack Harbaugh, former assistant coach here, of course. And I said, Dad, you know everything I know. What do you think? And he says, son, you've always made good decisions. My advice is to follow your heart. And Jim looks at me and says, so that is what I did. So another theme that I love about college sports, and you is a phrase that you had in the book, was that we have the potential to see the truly unthinkable when we watch sports. Hmm. Uh, it's true, because if you wrote some of these stories as a, as a Hollywood script, they would say you've gone too far. Everyone knows where they were when Desmond Howard made his catch in the end zone against Notre Dame, uh, of course, and Charles Woodson's interception and all this stuff. Everyone can place where they were because yeah. we all watch it together. We all share that experience. And now, of course, your phone blows up. Uh, Holy mackerel, they did it. Bye. Uh, and how cool all that is. Yeah. So I think sports are one of the few things we still share across the board, across race, religion, politics, which is very hard to, to transcend these days. Uh, sports does do that. The key to really getting into sports, whether you're a big sports fan or not, is to get off the field and get to know the people. Mm-hmm. Get to know the people, now it's one of the greatest soap operas you've ever seen. And you don't know how it's going to turn out either. Yeah. There's great storylines that feed into it. And what I try to do with this collection also is, if you don't care about sports at all, you should still like this. It's all about the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a struggle over values is what it's really about. The temptations, the hard work, the frustrations, the setbacks, yeah. the perseverance, all these things we can see, as I said earlier, in sports. And that's what I wanted to get to here is our, our expression of our values. Yeah. Well, an expression of how um, difficult it is to be a good athlete, too. I love your, <laughs> I love your self-deprecating humor on these, like, George Plimpton adventures you went on. Like, there was a, there's a hockey one and football, too, right? Yep. There's one where there's a lot of puking. Yeah, that's, <laughs> another that's, one that's the you, football one, and hockey was, was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> the one where you were, sw- like, your whole body, like, shut down. <laughs> oh, it did. Uh, I tried out for the Detroit Vipers hockey team and oh, lost yeah. six pounds the hard way, and that was brutal. Uh, the hardest one by far, though, was the, working out with Mike Barwis, the old strength coach at Michigan, uh, back in '09, And I puked every day for a week and a half working out with those guys. I couldn't walk <laughs> after these workouts. You couldn't get down the steps. I mean, you really you went imagine. home, and you got on your couch in the fetal position, and you whimpered <laughs> for an hour, and you realized, I'm going to die here. <laughs> you have to get up and feed yourself in some way. Uh, and that's when I realized, and by the way, no exaggeration. Anybody who's gone through this, it's called hypertrophy where your body, as you said, just breaks down. It's a, it's a cataclysmic event to your body. It just shuts down. <laughs> um, and these guys go through it twice a year. And then they get used to it, and they start lifting weights again. Read that piece, and you will see Michigan football players in a different light. Man, it is not an easy life. 
And I don't care if they are full rides, those are not free rides. Yeah. Uh, they pay a price. And, and that does humble you. <clears throat> Tried out for the U.S. Open Golf Tournament and got crushed, of course. <laughs> Tried out for the Detroit Grand Prix, the race oh, in Belle Isle. Yeah. That was an exciting well, they, one, too. They, they, it was, spinner. It was very exciting <laughs> at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, Spinner is my nickname. <laughs> there, you figured that one out. Uh, Coaching women, women's hockey here at Michigan, actually, and how different that was than coaching boys. Yeah. Uh, one thing you learn very early on with the women is you're always building their confidence. Uh, women athletes, at least I did. Uh, the individuals as well as the team, you're better than you think you are. Constantly telling them you're better than you think you are. When you're coaching high school boys, and I love those guys you're too. You're not I mean, as good as you think you are. You're not half <laughs> as good as you think you are. That's so funny. <laughs> and that sadly probably translates to management is my guess. <laughs> Um, so that was a ton of fun to put that section in. And yes, all the jokes were at my expense. Yeah. Oh my God. I just love the image of you like running the, <laughs> running on the field. Like the time the coach told you, if, if you can't do it, the whole team's going to have uh, to do it again. We're, we're back to working out with the football team on that one. Uh, after I finally got through, I was getting better at the weights and quit throwing it up <laughs> in the weight room. It was still bad, but it was not the story I could walk afterwards after a couple of weeks. So I did that for four <laughs> weeks, and then my last two weeks of this thing, oh I did weights followed by running with them after the workout. So I had to go six weeks total. And, man, I got to the run. I didn't give a damn. I mean, I'm, I'm already trashed. I'm working out with Larry Foote, All-American. We all line up on the goal line of the indoor football building. And he says, all right, all you guys got to – I forget what the time was exactly, but you guys got to – NFL guys got to do it in 50 seconds you – know, 45 yeah. seconds. Michigan guys got to do it in 50 seconds. Bacon, you got to do it in 60 seconds. <laughs> Or else everyone else has to do it again. <laughs> and that's when that's 50 so football pressure, players, man. half the team, man, they gave me the death stare. <laughs> and I thought, I have got to do this. And I thought, man, if I, if I do this, I'm going to die. And then I thought, but if I don't do this, they're going to kill me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you might as well option? die with honor on the field. <laughs> that's a bad, bad, bad and I story. made it at 58 seconds, just barely. I got high fives from those guys. I passed them all to run right to the trash can and throw up again. <laughs> and then I got back on the line. They turn you into a monster, by the way. You do this enough times, you don't care about anything anymore. You, you, you all of a sudden, like, I, I was looking for bar fights. Not a good idea in my case. All the first-person stories, not all these stories, really. If I'm there, I want you to get something you can't get otherwise. Yeah. And feel like you were there, too. One of the other stories that I thought was really touching was your Ernie Harwell story. If you're going up north in the 70s, what are you doing? You're listening to Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey describe the game. A wonderful way to get up north, of course, all summer long. I uh, got to know him in 96 or 7, 70, I think, when I was covering spring training for the Detroit News for the first time. I'm there half an hour. I'm sitting on a bench, and they've got five or six different pickup games going on in different diamonds at their big complex. Ernie Harwell, my old hero, sits right next to me. Is how you doing? I'm Ernie Harwell, <laughs> like I didn't know. <laughs> And we started chatting. He invites me to dinner that night with his wife, Lulu. We have a lovely chat, two or three hours. Stayed in touch ever since. Been on my radio show a few times. And uh, just an incredibly sweet guy. Then, of course, we learned, uh, I did a big story on him for Northwest Airlines magazine. And it's 9-11. I was still sleeping. I got a call at 8 o'clock in the morning. This is what wakes me up that day. And it's Ernie Harwell. And he said, John, I just want to thank you for the lovely story in Northwest Airlines magazine. And, who does that? You know, I mean, no matter how positive it is, no one ever does that. Yeah. And so we have a nice little chat, and then I turn on the TV, and the day, of course, goes dramatically worse. And yet, I always think of Ernie Harwell in that day, because it reminds me of the simple goodness of a sweet, sincere man, as countered with all the horribleness we mm -hmm. saw later on that day. I, I saw the, I saw the human condition, alpha to omega, in about an hour and a half. And uh, but I, I cling to the Ernie memory as proof that 
we're not all bad, we're not all evil, et cetera, not even close. Uh, and then, of course, when he uh, contracted cancer and announced it, I wrote a piece on him as well, and he had, we thought, weeks left, maybe months. Um, wrote another piece describing a lot of this stuff. Man, the piece comes out at 9 o'clock Friday morning, and I get a call from Ernie Harwell at 9.30 that morning. And we chat, and I say, well, you know, John, we've been friends a long time. <laughs> it's a very Ernie thing to say. And, you know, it had only been, at that point, uh, not even quite 20 years. He had, he had longer friends than me. Uh, and I felt guilty. Like, man, your time is limited at this point. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> uh, but that was, it feels good to memorialize his story in something more than a link mm-hmm. than a yellowing newspaper to put him between two pieces of cardboard where it be a little bit better preserved. They're all, you know, if it's made of, if man made it, it's going to die someday. Yes. But, uh, but it feels good to, to kind of put such good character in, in embalmment, basically, and yeah. we can all enjoy it. Uh, down the road. I love that that you said earlier about this is a book about the good guys because it really is. You come at these people in a bit of an unusual, from an unusual angle. Like even talking about Bo as sort of a romantic figure. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, after Millie Schimbeckler passed away, was not doing well. Uh, he was lonely, which is hard to believe for a guy known and loved by so many. He'd stay in his robe in the morning in his house in Ardington and near Ann Arbor. Um, and he was not doing all that well, so his friends noticed at a cocktail party in Florida that he noticed Kathy Aikens across the room, and she's a very attractive lady, so not too hard to notice. And so they set up a breakfast the next day with Bo and Kathy. Bo, knowing nothing about this dating stuff, as he would say, shows up with his fishing vest on, <laughs> which smells, I'm sure, of fish. <laughs> uh, and she, of course, is dressed to the nines, oh and here God. he is. He's about to go on a, a deep sea fishing trip <laughs> in an hour. And that'll make you feel special as a, young, as a lady, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> she says at one point, so, Bo, I hear that you used to coach basketball. <laughs> and she says, he says, no, I'm afraid your scouting report's a little off. I coached football. <laughs> and she goes, oh, that's nice. What else did you do? <laughs> and, and he says, let me tell you, that was a full-time <laughs> job. <laughs> so, so contrary to early rumors, she did not... She did not care about his fame. She's not aware of it. She had more money than he did, so it's not the money. Uh, they truly fell in love. Aww. And it's fun to see the sweet side of Bo, which you're not going to see on the <laughs> sidelines. <laughs> uh, Bo would be talking to me about Woody Hayes or something else, and he'd be barking. Argh! And then the phone would ring, and he'd look over, and he, even Bo could figure out caller ID. He's not a high-tech guy. <laughs> and uh, i got to get this one. And then he'd pick up the phone and get all sweet and lovey-dovey. He's like, whoa, man. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> All of a sudden he's talking and then he turned talking. to me a little embarrassed and said, now, where were we? It's like, come on, man, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Did his voice change? Like- oh, hell yeah, it changed. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> I love when that stuff happens. Yeah, you had to be there to get it. And so and hopefully the reader feels like they're in all these private places with all these people. Yeah, I definitely felt that, so I think you accomplished that. What makes Hutch so special? I read your piece, but like, talk a little bit about her. Like, why, why do we love her, and why is she so successful? As great as she is with all the big titles, she's still underrated. Because <laughs> how do you stay hungry year after year after year? Uh, all her players graduate. There's not a graduation rate. They all do. There's no rate. It's 100%. <laughs> she's amazing. Uh, and she still stays tough with them. Her players love her. They'll take a bullet for her. And she's tough, man. She is absolutely tough as nails. But she loves her players also, and back to our earlier equation. Uh, I recall talking to a radio host a few years ago about Mike Babcock, the Detroit Red Wings coach at the time, and 
the commentator said, oh, so you have to balance being tough with being caring. No. You have to be 100%, 100% tough and 100% caring at the same time. It's being a parent, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't slack off, but you're always tough and you always care. And Hutch is those things. And I, gotta, I used to teach the adult hockey classes at Yost Arena. Tuesday and Thursday mornings from 6.30 to 6.30? 7.30 to 9 o'clock in the morning. So these are business people and so on, a wide range. Hutch came down, man. And Hutch was a pretty damn good hockey player. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, if there's a puck in the corner and Hutch is one of the two players mm-hmm. after it, she's going to get it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> she's tough. And I will also say she was very coachable. I'm one of the few people I had a chance to coach Kira Hutchins at some point, not in a real sense, of course, but... Uh, but she's great, and she's a ton of fun to be around, and she's very funny. When Ward Manuel was named AD, he told a really funny story about when he had been a student here, and he, he must have worked on the grounds crew or something. Then he's like, oh, yeah, touch, I used to water your grass, you know? <laughs> it's just, and now I'm your boss, basically. That's <laughs> crazy well, how full think circle of, think things of the love come. That he expressed also at that press conference, which is what we're talking about here. They said, you know, he said UConn. UConn's a serious program. They win national basketball titles there, and they're competitive in football and so on. And they said, uh, would you be interested in the Michigan job? And he said, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> That's not a negotiating position. Uh, and likewise, you know, Harbaugh said, I'm in. Before terms were discussed or anything else, I'm in. And what did Jim Hackett say, the AD? He said, some jobs are for God and country, and Michigan is it for me. So he didn't know what the terms were when he said yes. Mm-hmm. This, this place can do that to you. Let's talk a little bit about the state of college athletics today. You said some interesting things about the concept of paying college athletes and also about, I don't know what they call it, the freshman rule? Yes, or, freshman um, ineligibility. Okay. Was the rule from 1905 when the NCAA started to 1973, that late. Uh, so freshmen were not allowed to play. They could have JV, uh, freshman teams, which were popular for most schools at that time. Uh, most guys I talked to from that era say, thank God for it because I became a real student during that time, I, college is hard. And I, I got my bearings before the game started. Um, it really makes sense. It's so sensible. It does make sense to me. Um, and I think a lot of folks would do it. I think the presidents need to stand up and ask for that or demand it. Now, some coaches are going to scream and holler, but so what? Let them go to the pros. It's not a crazy idea. Baseball and hockey have had this very same system for 100 years, more. Uh, minor leagues work in those sports, and therefore the baseball and hockey players you have on campus have actively chosen not to take the money and to take the degree. And then this whole concept about paying athletes, where do you think that's going to go? I get the impetus behind it. I can certainly see when your coaches are making, Bo made $21,000 his first year at Michigan. Wow. Anybody on that team knows, hell, I can do better than that. But now, of course, it's millions. So now the disparity between what the players get and what the coaches get is, is you know, a chasm, clearly. Mm-hmm. So I can see why the impulse is there to pay the players, but I'm telling you it won't work for a few reasons. One is um, if you pay them, A, it's, now you're an employee, and it changes everything. Now IRS taxes you, and it's more complicated than you think. Uh, Title IX, if you want to give a $5,000 stipend, let's say, to the starting quarterback, okay, sounds good. All right, now the backup coxswain on the women's crew team also gets $5,000. Title IX is virtually undefeated. It wins and wins and wins, and it should, all right? But that's part of the deal. So now instead of paying your top 20 or 30 players, you're paying 900 athletes on campus. Michigan can probably afford it. I guarantee you EMU cannot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're going to see college sports, we know that, basically fall off. Um, Minor leagues in 
NBA and NHL need to, or and uh, NFL need to happen, mm-hmm. and therefore you're not being exploited. And if you want to come to campus like a baseball or hockey player does, you've made an active choice. This is more important to me yeah. than making a minor league contract. Which, by the way, you suddenly realize a college degree actually has got a lot more value than making fifty thousand or eighty thousand for a minor league baseball team. Yeah. That's why they make that choice. Granted that you're paying big money here to see a football game or a basketball game, so it, you, you're t- you're tempted to see it like pro sports. Yeah. These are 20-year-old kids who aren't getting paid. And, by the way, for all those who talk about the corruption of college athletics, there's a strong case to be made. We can make that case. It ain't here at Michigan. It really isn't. I will say this about Michigan fans, and this is from the heart. Uh, when 3 and Out, the first controversial book, came out in 2011, uh, Hulk was already 5-1 and one that season. Life was good. He was immensely popular. Rich Rodriguez was fired in disgrace, and he was immensely unpopular. And I was not certainly taking Rich Rod's side, but there were, com- there were compensating factors going on. And, and I thought, okay, what do we do here? I said, man, you went to Michigan, and you're a journalist. You know, your job is to tell the truth. Um, and, again, it's a story about a failed coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it debuted at number six on the New York Times bestseller list, and that's when I thought, man, Michigan fans are different. Michigan alums are different. If I wrote that book about Ohio State, I am talking to you, Deborah, from a secure, undisclosed location <laughs> in Knoxville, Tennessee, by Skype. Michigan fans care. Harvard does not care if they lose, and Alabama doesn't care if they cheat. And Michigan cares a great deal about both. It's one of the few places that's in that category, I think. Um, they want to know what happened. And if they and they're sophisticated judges, as you well know, mm-hmm. of journalism. And they can tell if you got it right or not. And if you got it right, whether it's good or bad, they'll stick with you. Yeah. And that, to me, is the Michigan difference. And what I back to my earlier point about closing these speeches, I'd say, look, you know, no, it wasn't easy to write. It wasn't fun to write, frankly. I'd rather write the Bow Book all day long and the Harbaugh's return and all the happy stuff. Um, however, on your diploma, on my diploma, on the great seal of the University of Michigan, it says only three words, artis scientia veritas, art, science, truth. And either we believe it or we don't. And so I was trained by English and history professors here at Michigan to pursue the truth wherever it leads without fear, and this book is a product of that search. Okay, sports fans, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John as much as I did. If you'd like to read an excerpt from The Best of Bacon, please visit michigantoday.umich.edu and look for Athletics under the Topics tab. You can find more Listen in Michigan podcasts at iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher, and also at michigantoday.umich.edu under the Podcast tab. Okay, thank you so much for listening. I look forward to having you back next time. Until then, as always, go blue.